All right, welcome back to Mercy House University's series, How God Explains Everything. We have started to work our way through a number of arguments for the existence of God. Uh, in our first episode, we kind of outlined the general strategy we're going to be using to combine all these arguments into one cumulative case for the existence of an absolutely perfect being. Um, today, we are going to take a look at another of the specific arguments that contributes to that cumulative case. Austin is going to be talking to us about what's called the Kalam Cosmological Argument. So the Kalam Cosmological Argument is one of the cosmological arguments. Um, it's uh, deceptively simple with just a couple of premises, but it's got some kind of complex arguments and assumptions uh, that are involved in that. So we'll give you uh, a brief overview uh, of this argument and maybe look at a few of the objections and, and why uh, we should think the premises hold. It is called the Kalam argument because it comes out of the uh, medieval Islamic tradition uh, of Islamic philosophy where they were uh, sort of reviving Aristotle and uh, his kind of prime mover arguments and uh, kind of developing their own argument in uh, defense of uh, the existence of God. And most recently, uh, this has been made famous uh, by William Lane Craig, who did his dissertation on the subject uh, back in 1979. So this is one of his major arguments. If you ever watch any of his debates, this is one of the, the big ones that comes about. Um, yeah. So how does the argument go in its like simple form? Yeah, so there are three, three main premises. Uh, first is whatever begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist. Three, therefore, the universe has a cause. Okay, so it's like an argument that's trying to show that the universe came from somewhere, and ultimately we want to say that God is where it came from, something like that. Yeah, so I think there are... There are definitely parallels with the contingency argument, right? We're looking at the way the things that we, the objects in the world that we have, we see the way that they normally operate, mm -hmm. that there's something in common they all have. Hey, these all began to exist at some point. But if they all began to exist at some point, they must have a reason for existing, right? Similar to what we talked about last episode with contingency and necessity. So if... Uh, if that's true of everything in the universe, then the universe itself, itself must have began to exist, began to exist. And therefore, the universe itself, as a whole, must have a cause. So our first premise, whatever begins to exist has a cause, is really assuming what, to most of us, I, th I think is a fairly intuitive or, or common sense principle, uh, what is called ex nihilo nihilo feet. Uh, out of nothing, nothing comes. So we, we sort of disproved spontaneous generation, right? That uh, if you close up your meat, it doesn't just spontaneously generate maggots. Um, we generally know, as we talked about last episode with contingency, uh, that things have causes, right? We, we don't just expect things to suddenly show up with no explanation and no cause, even though we don't necessarily know the explanation that we, gen, we tend to look for one because we assume there is one. Okay, in a way, this is kind of a version of a, of 
a causal principle of the kind we were looking at in the last episode. Because uh, you might think whatever begins to exist must be contingent because there was some time at which it didn't exist and so it's the case that it's possible for it not to exist, which is just what it is to be contingent. And so it's saying whatever begins to exist, namely this group of contingent things, the things that began to exist, has a cause. That's a causal principle. Mm -hmm. uh, and we gave some reasons in the last episode to think that... Uh, some of these causal principles were true, or that you don't endorse something like this, then you've got a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, well, anyway, so some people have kind of responded to this idea by saying, well, look, you said that the universe is caused by God, but what about God? Who caused, who caused God? Shouldn't there be a cause of the causer or something like that? Mm. So the idea would be like if the theist wants to try to show that God exists using some like causal principle that says like, well, everything is caused by something or something like that, that actually gets the theist in trouble too because then we'd want to know, well, what caused God? Right. <laughs> yeah, this is a really common objection you'll hear. Uh, you know, go watch some YouTube videos on this. and Well, <laughs> then yeah, who, who caused God? Um, but it's, while that is in and of itself, it's sort of its own conversation to have, it really doesn't bear a lot on this argument, uh, or really at all. Because the first premise doesn't say that, oh, all things must have a cause. It specifically says, whatever begins to exist has a cause, right? So just as we said in the last episode, we expect contingent things to have some reason for their existence because they could fail to exist. Well, similarly, anything that began to exist uh, must have had some cause for its beginning to exist. Um, but if God is not a thing which began to exist, then we have no reason to think that there must be a cause. Okay, so what about this second premise, the, that the universe began to exist? Um, I mean, I suppose, you know, lots of people think that that's true, you know, there's the Big Bang Theory and all that about where the universe came from. But it also seems like there are some people who don't think the universe began to exist. And, and you might think it's just been around forever, or that like there, were, there was like a prior state of the universe before the Big Bang or something like that. Um, so what, what, are we, what should we say about that? Yeah, so um, Craig, for example, gives two different responses to this argument one is his sort of uh his a priori kind of logical arguments for why uh he thinks that uh in infinity and actual infinity is impossible um and then also these a posteriori arguments for uh just looking at the empirical evidence that it's much more likely that the universe had a beginning uh just that the physical universe had some kind of beginning uh so like you said, the Big Bang argument. So for a long time, uh, a lot of responses to this um, against theism was that the universe was eternal, right? And it goes back uh, even before Aristotle that the universe was eternal. It didn't have a beginning. And this was just taken as obvious by many people. Um, but even uh, in the 20th century, we've had increasing evidence for empirical evidence for the Big Bang that at some point, the known universe had a beginning. Uh, and things like the expansion of the universe, so actually finding that the universe is expanding at, at 
uh, increasing rates, right? It's, it's not even expanding at a constant speed. It's expanding. Uh, the rate at which it's expanding is speeding up. Um, we have entropy, uh, different things like that, that suggests that, that an infinite pass to our universe um, is, would be impossible or just doesn't fit the evidence that we have. Uh, another reason to think that we couldn't have this uh, infinite universe or, or eternal universe uh, is that uh, Craig makes the argument that um, an actual infinite uh, regress would present us, present us with a bunch of logical problems. Um, one example of this that uh, I got from my, this guy Trent Horn in his book Answering Atheism he used the example of a flower shop. He says, before, he says, I have an aunt who has this flower shop, and every day before she opens her flower shop, she counts all of her flowers. You know, got to know what kind of stock you have, how much stock you have. He says, if she had, uh, you know, a dozen flowers, it wouldn't take very long. If she had a hundred flowers, it would take a little bit longer, but not too long. And even if she had a million flowers, right, she'd still open her shop eventually. It might be a couple of days later than she was planning on it, but <laughs> she'd eventually open the shop. But if she had an infinite number of flowers, she would never open the shop, right? The shop would never be open because the opening of the shop is dependent upon her counting, completing the counting of all the flowers. So the idea here is that the, the point at which, uh, at any particular point in time, you have causes leading up to that point in time. Um, but if you had this infinite regress of causes going back uh, forever and ever, you'd never actually get to the point at which we're at. So uh, he calls this the the impossibility of, of tra traversing infinity, um, which maybe you can, I don't know if you have a, a more succinct explanation or, or description <laughs> of <laughs> how exactly that works. Um, but basically, if you have like this uh, endless amount of time or this infinite time, mm -hmm. uh, that there's no particular you never arrive at any particular point um, in time. Well, so you never arrive how, at a point that's infinitely distant, distant from your starting point. Yeah, so yeah. if you think about right now, it, uh, and then think about uh, time stretching back infinitely into the past, it would take literally forever to get to right now. And so it seems like you could never do it. Right. Just like if you were like traveling through time at a rate of one second per second, like we are, uh, how long would it take you to get to now? infinitely long <laughs> you'd never do it yeah just like uh if you tried to count to infinity you'd never finish yeah the thought is well if the past is infinitely long we would never have gotten to now like we've mm -hmm. never finished the infinite number of past moments to get to the present so another uh another response people um give to this argument <clears throat> or well another objection is that the whole argument is uh, predicated upon the A theory of time, which views time as, as progressing in such a way that only the present is real. Only, only things that is, which exist in the present can be said to be real. Uh, this is contrasted with uh, the B theory of time, which sees sort of all time as being real. Basically, the argument is we should see uh, all of space-time as like a four-dimensional block mm -hmm. where it just all is. Um, so when you talk about the past, right, you're just saying, well, something in relation to this moment 
but you're not there is no objective moment now to which the past is in relation to we're just we're just somewhere in the midst of the block uh, of the space-time block and there's no point which is sort of the objective real moment yeah uh, there, there's now. a there's a moment in space-time where we're located but there's nothing special about it right nothing yeah. that's not a privilege distinguishes it differently from any other point in space-time and so is the thought here that on this view of time uh, on this like B theoretic view of time uh, it doesn't really make sense to think of like traversing the past as if like we actually progressed through time like this because time is static on this mm -hmm. view there's just a bunch of stuff out there but it's not like something that moves from past to present to future yeah okay and and i think the the language of beginning i think they find problematic on yeah. the B theory of time because to say something began is to assume this sort of continuity of progression from one moment to the next yeah, it, this is a point I've heard Craig make. He seems to think, like, the whole idea of something beginning to exist, or at least, like, the intuition that that is something that requires a cause, in some way depends on thinking about time as being dynamic rather than static. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's right about that, and some people have pushed back on it, but yeah, that is something he says a lot. Yeah, so, so people quote, in their objections, people quote Craig himself saying that his view requires an A-theory of time, or is at least predicated upon an A-theory of time. But I also don't know... Imagine if you just try to picture the space-time block, right, which still must exist in some kind of space-time. Like, presumably you could still get outside of it in some way. But we couldn't in that sense. But you could sort of picture it as like a close. It seems to, the picture seems to me to be like an enclosed hole, yeah, like an enclosed could, system. You could imagine that there are things that exist without having locations in the block somewhere. Mm -hmm. Sure, which yeah. So in that case, the the known universe still has parameters. Uh, right, it's not infinite, and if it's not infinite, then there would still be some kind of cause to what exists. Yeah, I'm not sure the the like the extension of the universe. I'm not sure how relevant that is. I don't know. I'm, yeah, for I'm the, also not sure for the Kalam argument, what matters is that the universe has a beginning, uh, which is just to say, if if you're thinking about it in terms of the B theory on which time is static, then it just has to be that That's there is an time. earliest time. It's yeah. a there's a, a <laughs> limit to its extension in that dimension, the time dimension. Right. And the block has a certain, like, front edge and yeah. so forth. Yeah. So, for some reason, I mean, you're definitely right about this, Austin. Uh, Craig Craig thinks that if you think about time that way, it, like, takes some of the force out of this argument. But some other people, and I guess I'm one of them, and maybe Patrick is one of them, are, like, not so sure about, like, why should that make any difference to the argument. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, that's... Because um, I think if you're treating time as a fourth dimension... Uh -huh. Right, in the same way that matter exists, then I would think you'd still have a beginning of time. Yep. Uh, it wouldn't make sense to talk about it in a in as a beginning in this kind of absolute referential sense. Yeah, like a moving spotlight kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Would, that wouldn't make sense on a B theory. But then you you could talk about time beginning in the same way you talk about matter beginning to exist. Right, time also begins to exist, as in there's a point 
before which it didn't exist. Yeah. Like now, of course, that's not a point dimension. in time because there was no time, <laughs> right? So, prior to the universe existing, uh, you can't say when the universe didn't exist because there was no time. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was still a point before which it it did not exist. Well, there's no like point before, but that's not really uh, that doesn't necessarily matter for the argument because the argument just says whatever begins to exist has a cause, mm -hmm. and uh, for something. To begin to exist on a B theory is just for there to be for it not to be limitlessly extended in space time. Basically, mm -hmm. if it has uh, unlimited extension in time in the in past, the backward direction, yeah. in the backward direction, then there is no beginning of it. Yeah, its existence. But if it had, if it's not unlimitedly extended that way, then there is a beginning beginning of its existence, namely. The point in space time where it starts, mm. and yeah. the point if so, so if the the space time block, the whole big block, has a beginning, a front edge, as Justin put it, uh, then there is a beginning of its ex existence. They are the start of the block. Yeah. yeah. So premise two still seems true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So suppose we accept both of those premises then, and we arrive at the conclusion that the universe has a cause. Why should we think that the cause of the universe is God? So, on one level, and this is another, it's another critique people give, is that, well, that doesn't improve Christianity, though. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, like, to which, of course... Just that the universe has a cause. Yeah. Like, that's well, not yeah, a lot. Okay. <laughs> but that, unless I'm trying to prove <laughs> the, you know, this particular uh, Christian view, though Craig does then work towards that, and I think we can do the same. Um, so it gives us the existence of some kind of cause and taken together with the other kind of arguments we've been looking at, right, in this cumulative case way, I think we can see certain types of things about that cause. Um, now, of course, in just in this particular argument, we can see that if this cause is not something within the this time-space continuum, it's not, uh, must not be material and it must not be temporal. So this gives us uh, uh, some cause which is immaterial which is uh, eternal uh, and had to be able to bring about s something from nothing so means it's pretty powerful or all powerful <laughs> De decently powerful <laughs> De really? and, and pretty, pretty it powerful has a, pretty, uh, a kind of power that nothing in ordinary experience does right, right. yeah <laughs> uh, so one of the points that Craig makes is that because we can't think of this cause in terms of things in the world. So it can't be something that is in terms of physical laws. So we don't think about this as a kind of uh, normal causal relationships that we see in the world, right? Where energy and heat and force are causing things to shift and change and happen, right? It can't be something like that. Yeah, because we're outside of the universe now. None of those things exist. <laughs> uh, so to bring about such things... It has to be something that is not any of those things. And uh, that would be some kind of abstract thing. But most abstract things that we normally think of, like numbers and things like that, don't cause things to happen generally. Yeah. Uh, and so that, most, that leaves us with something like a mind, uh, some kind of uh, agent that would choose to cause these things. Um, because this isn't 
it's not a it's not a when we think of most physical causal relationships we think of them in terms of of necessity right mm-hmm. and determinism so this object moves here and it causes this other object to move here the only kind of things that don't seem to operate along those lines are uh agents right agents can choose to make certain kinds of decisions that are not uh necessary mm-hmm. well even though i mean if you think uh, a lot of people do think these days that there's indeterminism in the physical world but even there it's law governed yeah so the explanation of why these indeterministic events happen is going to make reference to things like the laws of nature and the physical conditions in the world mm. but we can't use any of that when we're trying to explain why all that stuff exists in the first place okay. so we've got a personal agent of some kind right some kind of mind or something like that who is immaterial uh, eternal and at the very least very powerful and powerful in a way that is qualitatively different from the kind of power that we have which is pretty impressive but that could leave you with a kind of deistic picture of the world that there is a personal agent a powerful personal agent that created the universe and then just kind of left it running or something like that mm-hmm. uh is there can, can we add to that and try and get to a, a christian uh kind of conclusion so yeah so if this personal agent uh has these perfections um maybe the best explanation for that is that this agent has all of the perfections and that doesn't just give us this you know great powerful agent out there somewhere uh but it maybe gives us a being that's also perfectly uh loving and a lot of the other things we want to associate with uh the christian god right yep so just uh and so for the details about like why that might be a good explanation of why this being has those uh the perfections that it does you can listen to our first episode yeah so let me summarize just a little bit so we austin kind of showed us what the kalam cosmological argument is it's the idea that whatever begins to exist has a cause and since the universe began to exist, it must have a cause. Uh, we looked at some reasons to think that everything begins to ex- that begins to exist has a cause, and we looked at some reasons to think that the universe began to exist. Some both empirical and logical reasons to think that the universe has to have a beginning, and then we kind of just looked at why the cause must be something that's personal and eternal and powerful. And then how the best explanation for that would be that it's a perfect being, just like God. <laughs>